It is time to dig deep with Stacy and Stacy, a podcast for anyone hungry for God and willing to tackle today's relevant issues with authentic conversations inspired by Holy Scripture, prayer, and devotion to the sacraments. Hosted by two Texas gals who went to the same country Baptist church as little girls, had crazy lives, and found each other again decades later as Catholic convert wives and moms. Get ready, y'all. They're fixing to get real. I'm Stacy Barkwison. And I'm Stacy Tresenko. Good morning, and thank you for joining us <laughs> on this, uh, <laughs> on this uh, Monday of the 30th week in Ordinary Time. Um, this is Monday, October 24th, and this is the 31st episode of Season 2 with the Stacy and Stacy podcast. Stacy and I, as we've said before, have a whole bunch of kids between the two of us. Our kids are getting older. We have grandkids, so we're very much in that abundance of life that being <laughs> open to life brings. Yes. And we know all about the ins and outs of um, parenting th- through all the years of childhood and into adulthood. So we are wisened. (laughs) We are wise. Talk about children. I have a house full of kids this morning. So I'm actually sitting in my car (laughs) so that everybody can sleep in this morning. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Pray for Stacy as she finishes this podcast and enters her home with a full house of children. So today, what are we talking about? We are talking about, um, Stacey, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about the gospel reading for today in Luke about the bent over woman. (laughs) We had, we talked over the weekend and, and she's got a lot to say about this. It's just jump. Things are jumping out all over the place. (laughs) And I'm finishing up the section In the first often ignored part of the catechism, part one under the profession of faith, section one, I believe, we believe, and then chapter one under that, man's capacity for God. So we went through three sections last week and the fourth one today about the desire for God, the ways of coming to know God, the knowledge of God according to the church. And today we're going to talk about how can we speak about God and what does that all have to do with relevant issues? This is a beautiful part of the catechism where you can explain to someone how we know God exists over Thanksgiving. That's good. That's good. Because that's what the Mass is. That's what the Eucharist is. Thanksgiving. Giving thanks to Mm -hmm. God. So um, anyway, we'll finish up our little lesson on that part of the catechism after Stacy starts us off with prayer and her scripture reflection. Yes. Let's get started. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day and and for this upcoming week. We trust you. We trust in you. Um, We thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and that it lights up our path. And we ask that you um, direct our steps. Show us the path before us, Lord. We ask that you open the eyes of our understanding and that you give us fresh Uh, eyes to see you, um, and ears to hear you. Mother Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay, like we do every morning, grab your cup of tea, cup of coffee, um, even a Dr. Pepper, whatever you want to drink, and get your Bible and spend some time with the Lord today. So this is the 
um, memorial. There was a, a memorial reading. We're not going to we're not going to do the option optional readings, but this is the memorial of Saint Anthony Mary Claret. And just quickly, I wanted to say something, um, a little information about about him. He was born in 1807. Um, he had taken up weaving because his father was a weaver, uh, studied the priesthood, decided he wanted to be a Jesuit, but his health prevented him from entering the order. And so he served as a secular priest. And in 1849, he founded the Missionary Sons of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, known today as the Claritians and the Apostolic Training Institute of the Immaculate Conception Claritian Nuns. He served as the Archbishop of Santiago de Cuba, but returned to the court of Queen Isabella II and actually went into exile with her in 1868. And he participated in the First Vatican Council. He was known to have the gift of prophecy and also known to have performed many miracles. And he wrote 144 books. Um, he died in 1870. So he is a saint that I had never um really heard of or, or read anything about, wow. but I wanted to just acknowledge him because I think that's pretty incredible. Thank you, Stacy. That I didn't know that either. Thank you. St. Anthony Mary Claret, pray for us. Pray for us. Okay. So like Stacy said, we are going to read the gospel. Um, it is found in Luke 13. We're going to read it and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and a woman who was there for 18 years had been crippled by spirit. She was bent over, completely incapable of standing erect. When Jesus saw her, he called to her and said, Woman, you are set free of your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and she at once stood up straight and glorified God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant that Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, said to the crowd in reply, there are six days when work should be done. Come on those days to be cured, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord said to him in reply, Hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it out for watering? This daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years now, ought she not to have been set free on the Sabbath day from this bondage? When he said this, all his adversaries were humiliated and the whole crowd rejoiced at all the splendid deeds done by him. Okay, I, I'm just, I'm just um, amazed. I mean, this is another very short passage of scripture that really packs a punch. I mean, we could talk about this all week long. Um, and maybe this story really speaks to me because not only can I relate to her personally, but I actually have a true life visual of what she probably looked like. Many years ago, I knew a woman who was totally bent in half. Um, she had a physical condition where she could not stand up. She had a scooter and she would ride around in her scooter. And that's what helped her to be mobile. She could kind of turn her head a little bit so that she could see where she was going if she leaned to the side. Um, she was incredible. I mean, lived on her own for the most part. She had people coming in to help her. And, but, um, and she could walk around on, in you know short distances um, in familiar surroundings. But 
I just remember visiting with this woman and seeing her and just being, um, you know, when I read the story in the Bible, I, I, I actually have a visual of what I think she probably looked like. So it says Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath and a woman was there who for 18 years had been crippled by a spirit. She was bent over and com completely incapable of standing erect. 18 hmm. years that she'd been bent over. And I thought, you know what? That doesn't happen overnight. Mm -mm. I mean, whether it's physical, um, whether it's a visible um, affliction or invisible. Yeah, you know, I remember a time in my life when I felt bent over. I felt um, just weighted down, unable to look anyone in the eye, insecure, mm -hmm. defeated. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be noticed. Mm -hmm. um, I, not many knew since it wasn't a physical, you know, it wasn't an outward. Mm -hmm. It wasn't obvious. And I fought a very private internal battle that slowly began to manifest outwardly over time. I mean, have you ever felt invisible? Have, have you ever wanted to be invisible? Have you ever felt beat down? That's that's what I call being battle weary. Just mm -hmm. like you're just beat down. And I think many of us are or have been in abusive relationships, um, self-defeating mindsets, um, maybe crippling sins or addictions. Or maybe we struggle with unforgiveness or anger or, or disappointments. Disappointments are huge. Um, they open doors for us to be tormented. All these things can make us feel like we have no value, that we're unloved. It, it keeps us in bondage. And the more we stay in these downward cycling mindsets and situations, we begin to agree with the lies of the enemy. And the more bent over we become. I mean, it can be a gradual progression, just gradually progressing to the point where I think like one morning we wake up and we're, we're just amazed at where we find ourselves. Like, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? But God, who is rich in mercy, you know, I want to just keep, that's going to be something I say over and over because, but God, no matter where we are, we have to remember, but God is rich in mercy I think about how even though the woman in the Bible couldn't look people in the eye because she was bent over, how she she must have been hurting. I know it was uncomfortable for her. Um, she was walking around looking at her feet and everyone else's feet. Yet she still went to the synagogue. And to me, that means that she was so strong and so brave because I wonder how many people stopped and spoke with her. I wonder how many people actually noticed her. I'm sure she felt rejected, discarded, unwanted. Maybe she felt like she was a bother to people. But what I love about these scriptures is it says Jesus saw her and he called to her. Can you imagine what it must have felt like yeah. for her to realize, oh, my goodness, someone's someone's speaking to me. Someone sees me. <laughs> the Lord of the universe. <laughs> yes, he is El Roy, the God who sees. And he called to her. I love that. She didn't go to the synagogue asking him to heal her. She wasn't seeking him out. And he saw her, or at least it doesn't say she was, but he saw her and he called to her and he said, woman, you are set free of your infirmity. He laid his hands on her and she at once stood up 
straight and glorified God. How amazing it must have felt for her to be able to stand up straight after 18 years. I mean, her whole worldview just expanded in a moment's time to feel the sun on her face. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant that Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, he tried to stir things up. He says, there's six days when work can be done. Why not come on one of those days, not on the Sabbath day? He seems to be trying to incite the crowd to turn them against Jesus and this woman. He tries to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day as if he did something wrong. And I wonder, though, if this woman started to feel bad or maybe started to second guess or feel unworthy of her healing. But God, who is rich in mercy, but Jesus said to him, hypocrites. Notice it's plural. It's not you hypocrite. It's hypocrites. It isn't just to him, but it's to everyone in the crowd that is starting to get stirred up. It's everyone in the crowd who's starting to doubt all who feel everyone who feels like this person did this leader of the synagogue. Jesus stops it before it gets out of control. And he says, do not each one of you again, not just Mm. to the leader of the synagogue. He's talking to everyone. Don't you all untie your animals from the manger and lead them out for watering? This daughter of Abraham. Oh, I love that. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. This is the only time a woman is called daughter of Abraham, um, like as a title in scripture. And that means that she has value and dignity and is deserving of being healed today and any day. He defended her. He may have healed her physical body, but these words, they strengthened her internally. They strengthened her. They empowered her. They restored her. Um, He stood up for her. It may be we no longer refer to this story in the Bible as, oh, you know, the story about the bent over woman. (laughs) Maybe we refer to this story as, oh, you know, the story about the daughter of Abraham. And this daughter of Abraham had been bound for 18 years. Wow. And Jesus says, shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath day from this bondage? And when he said this, all his adversaries were humiliated and the whole crowd rejoiced at the splendid deeds done by him. The bad guys were humiliated. (laughs) He shut it down and they had no words. It doesn't say they um, came back with anything. The whole crowd began to rejoice. They had a party. They celebrated. They celebrated the daughter of Abraham's healing and what Jesus has done and his goodness. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. You need to do a whole book on the butt gods. I know you're planning to do a book <laughs> called Me and My Big Butt. <laughs> I love the butt gods. <laughs> you, you, you need to do the, and by butt, she means her big B-U-T. You're a big butt god. I, I don't, I don't yes. want to do this. I don't want to do that. Yeah. But, but uh, I, I guess there's a lot of butt gods. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. Like I don't, I don't remember ever learning much about this story, Stacy. So thank you for bringing this story of the bent over woman out today and highlighting it. I know plenty of older ladies who, who physically are bent over, and they come to mass anyway. Yeah. And I'm always in awe of of the elderly who are who are sick or have trouble getting around and they make it anyway, they come anyway. And, and many of them even go down to receive communion. And if they can't, the priest brings it to them. Yes, yes. They uh, really strengthen my faith to see 
what they go through to get there. And it always reminds me that even if I think it was hard to get there with my kids, it's harder for the people who are, who even have trouble walking and getting into cars. They don't let anything stop them from getting to him. And I love that. And even the ones who are homebound and and there are Eucharistic ministers that bring communion to them. Mm -hmm. uh, Just the, the links people go to, to make sure they are regularly receiving Jesus in the light of this scripture reading to tie to the the catechism, the teaching of the church here. I think when we get into these times, when we feel bent over, we feel beaten down by life and we're dealing with problems. It's easy to feel like God is distant. It's easy to even question God, are you really there? I mean, when we, when things happen in our lives and it's not what we wanted to happen, especially the loss of a loved one, or sickness or illness or destitution is not what we wanted. Stacy and I have said many times we can look now that we're only because we're in our fifties, we can look back over the trajectory of our lives. And I can see so many times when my past self didn't understand what was going on or what the purpose was. And my 50 something year old self can now have, have lived enough years, I can look back and say, oh, I get it now, God. I see what you were doing there. I see yeah. now how everything worked out for the good and that we had to go through those trials back in 1999 or whatever. <laughs> right. um, but, but I don't think you can see that. I think that's part of the wisdom that comes with living enough years. I definitely wouldn't have seen that in my 20s or 30s, probably not even in my 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I understand now that when things happen now that I don't like, when, that I, I don't understand, that I question, I have learned, you know, when I felt bent over, I, I've learned to keep the faith too. But something that helps me keep the faith amid our the issues going on in the world today, all the stuff we hear on the news, all the fighting among people, all the fighting even in the church, or the fighting among Christians of all things, one thing that helps me get back to it is like, wait, very, very just first principles, fundamentals. How do we know God exists? First of all, my priest, Father David Bailey says, God does not exist. God is existence. But, but from our limited little human minds, like we're bumbling around out here on the third rock from the sun in in (laughs) our solar system and our arm of the spiral of the Milky Way galaxy among two, 200 billion other so or so galaxies in the observable universe here we are just crawling around on our planet and we look out at things and how is it that we can know god exists this is one of the most powerful teachings in the catechism that when you when you feel beaten down it's good to just raise your head and say oh yeah god you're there and this is how i know you're there because sometimes i think we forget about that well we went through the catechism the desire for god how um, man is by nature, man or people, humans are by nature and vocation religious. We are made to search for God. We are made to live in communion with God. And that is where we find happiness. When we listen to the message of creation and to the voice of conscience. So message of creation, that's science. When we look out and we understand, when we look at the universe and look at the world, we can see that God is faithful. The beating of our own hearts is enough to convince us God is faithful because he's holding all the atoms that make up our body together. And so, so well that our hearts keep beating. Um, We can move, we can think, we can, you know, we have brains. We also are souls. 
rational souls. We have intellect and free will beyond the matter of our body. We are literally held in existence every minute by God. So we can know by looking at creation. We can know by the voice of conscience, our own inner search for truth and love and and to know God. That is proof in and of itself that God exists. And, and we went through how the church teaches that the one true God, our creator and Lord, can be known with certainty through his works by the natural light of human reason. And the last thing in this section for today is then how do we talk about God? This is something I love. Uh, I love to talk about with young people because they often don't realize you can spend so many hours thinking about God <laughs> like they don't. It's not a simple question. How do you know God exists anyway? Because no, there's so much you can say about it. And even when it comes time, like all the other stuff, ways of knowing God, acknowledging God, according to the church, the desire for God, even when you get your head around all that and you're ready to open your mouth and talk about God, you got a whole new problem because Mm -hmm. the words, our words are reflections, expressions of what's in our minds. And so now when it comes time to speak, you got to put into words all the things that you're thinking in your mind. And and just so you know, all the saints have said it, the count, the church councils have said it, the catechism say it, says it. This is the truth. We do we can know God exists with human reason. But we will never have the words to fully Mm -hmm. speak about God. Our words will always fail. fail. It's called ineffable. Our words will always fail to, that's another big Catholic word, ineffable. (laughs) I always love that word. The first time I heard it, I was like, dude, that is so cool. Ineffable. (laughs) But that's what it means. We so that that what the church is saying is not shut up and don't try to speak about God then. Just hush. It's a mystery. You can never, no, 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 no. What the church is saying, you have to try, but you've got to be careful in the way you try. You've got to be so careful to use the, the right words. And that, that's why it gives it to us in the catechism. So mm-hmm. how do we speak about God? The church encourages us to find ways to speak about God so that we can evangelize to our friends and families that we encounter in our lives. Thanksgiving's coming up. A lot of people do that over holiday meals mm-hmm. and that we can dialogue with other religions. So Stacy and I as Catholics, we're very interested in talking to other Christians because we, we've been um, yeah. other Christians. We're converts and we very much want to talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We yeah. are part of the same family. But also we want to talk about God so that we can dialogue with philosophy and science as well as with unbelievers and atheists. So we do have to learn Catholics. It is our Christians, all of us, we have to learn how to talk about God. So since our knowledge of God is limited, our language about him is also limited. That's just a fact. We can name God only by taking creatures as our starting point. Okay. So analogously, we can talk about God analogously. We call him We say God exists. He's creator of the universe. But the truth is he's existence itself. And we don't really have a word for that. I remember when I was homeschooling my kids and we would we were homeschooling with a religious or a a Catholic um, homeschool academy. And when they would start learning about nouns and verbs, you know, learning the parts of speech, 
the books that are religious would have sentences where God is the subject of the sentence. And all my kids, every one of them without fail, we would get to that part. Mom, is God a person, place, or thing? <laughs> and like, oh man, okay, okay, Catholic Homeschool Academy, you're making this hard. <laughs> so they're like, Mom, is, I thought you said God isn't a person, that God is one nature, one divine nature, and three persons. I'm like, yes, you're right. Um, is he a place? Well, God is is omnipresent. Is he a thing? He, you know, he, he God's everything. God is existence. So we we would always get hung up when we had to diagram a sentence with God as the subject. <laughs> and I never saw that coming. Right. Never saw it coming with my kids. But it it's just simple proof that our knowledge of God is limited. And so we can talk about him analogously. So we could use God in a sentence as a noun, like a person, only because we start with creatures and we can only really understand a relationship with another, with a be with the being, with being itself, with God, if we think of him like a creature, but we can't ever say God is a creature. God is uncreated. He, he is, the, the first cause. He's the unmoved mover of ancient Greece. He's he's God. He's existence itself. And so God is not created. God did not start to exist at any point in time. God is eternal. Um, and so we have words like that. And if you want some of the words, look up that there's all kinds of language in the Fourth Vatican Council and even in the Catechism. But the only point for today isn't to go through all the ways of talking about God. It's to convince you that your words will always fail. Our knowledge is limited. Our language is equally limited. But all creatures bear a resemblance to God. We say all creatures are created in the image and likeness of God. Their goodness, their truth, their beauty, even mosquitoes, all reflect their puzzle bloodsuckers, all reflect the infinite perfection of God. Consequently, we can name God by taking his creatures' perfections as our starting point. Quoting from the Catechism here, for from the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of the Creator. That's actually from Wisdom 13.5 in the Bible. And, and there's plenty of examples. And that's what I was talking about the other day. You can go outside and look at nature and, and you can know God exists from looking at nature. But God does transcend all creatures. God is not created. So we, we continually, and this is the work people say, what do theologians do? This is part of it. We continually purify our language of everything in it that is limited, image bound and imperfect so that we can more perfectly express the inexpressible, comprehend the incomprehensible, see the invisible, the ungraspable with our human words, which will always fall short of the mystery of God. So it doesn't mean don't even try. It means try harder. And this is the truth over the history of the Catholic Church. Because people tried harder to talk about God more in a more clarified way, more perfectly, we, the human race actually advanced in knowledge and wisdom because of that. Our language itself developed because trying to talk about God. Just a quick example is the word person. There wasn't a word for a human person in ancient Greece. In trying to express how God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one divine nature, one God, the Catholic Church 
use the word person to describe a, an individual substance of a rational nature. And that is that also then became applied to ourselves. It's one of the strongest defenses of life down to the zygote. A zygote is an individual substance, a new, a new creation, a new human being of a rational nature has got the potential for rationality. The nature is the nature of being human is to have rational thought. So um, we, we were able to, to more perfectly understand ourselves by trying to more perfectly express God. So that's the little catechism lesson. Um, it just kind of goes underneath everything. I mean, when, I think about things like that when I'm watching the news or reading the New York Times or like I read it every day so I can pray. I pray a lot when I read it. Um, I don't I don't agree with most of what I read there, but I read it anyway. But, <laughs> but when we're dealing with our families, our children, our parents, the people in our lives who aren't believers um, all around us, strengthen yourself by understanding what the church teaches here that that if you ever fall into despair seriously all you need to do is look at the periodic table (laughs) no i'm kidding (laughs) all you need to do is i do but all you need to do is go outside and look up at the clouds and the trees and i'm serious i'm dead serious and put your hand over your heart even if you're bit over your heart is beating and that's proof that god wills for your life to go on right now. Now, at some point, your heart will stop beating because God wills for you to come to be with him forever in heaven. And that, that's why you got to take all those heartbeats in your life right now and do the most good that you can. And the most good thing you can ever do, the goodest thing, <laughs> is tell people about God and how much he loves them. Because every single one of us, no matter how downtrodden we are, we are so loved by our creator. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves, how beat down we feel, how bent over we feel. You know, God, um, there's there's that quote by St. Augustine that says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest mm-hmm. in you. Yes. And I was just thinking about that the entire time you're talking. I mean, yes, we are, we are searching. We are searching. And, and he's, he's wooing us to him through his creation. And we do need to talk to each other. We do need to tell each other about our our stories and how God has moved in our lives and how, mm-hmm. how God has worked in our lives because you just don't know where someone is or how your story is going to impact them right. or, or help them to grow closer to the Lord or to see him differently. So don't be afraid to share your stories and your victories and your hurts and, mm-hmm. you know, get real with people because, you know, we try to get real on here and, and, we're not perfect. My good night almighty. I mean, we have all (laughs) gone, both of us. I mean, I have gone through so much and I have made so many mistakes and I always tell people half of my testimonies don't do what I did, but you know, we try to just share those, the Mm -hmm. the victories and the hurts and our bent overness (laughs) are when we get beat down or battle weary, Mm -hmm. we need each other. We need to encourage each other and help build each other up. And I just think about this, this quote, you know, we are restless, even if we don't know what we're restless for, we are all restless. We're trying to find that rest and that perfect rest is in him. Exactly. Have a beautiful Monday. I'm Stacey Trisankos. And I'm Stacey Farquharson. Until next time. If you are interested in bringing Stacey and Stacey to your parish or study group for a retreat or a talk, 
They would love to come liven things up and keep it real. Please see Stacy and Stacy.site for more information. <laughs>